0: To teach you the depth of His Word, enjoy the study. Well, we are going to, to keep going here. Before we do, though, uh, I wanted to just re- just read uh, two headlines from the Babylon Bee, just to just to open up with some humor, because I love love Babylon Bee. Hey, everybody, say happy anniversary to the Monarchies as well. Today's their anniversary. Yes, what one, one year ago. Okay, not having enough stress and frustration in his life, man decides to start following sports. So (laughs) that was from October 24th. And then um, new breakthrough treatment for depression, just a hammer to smash your phone with, was also from October 24th. Then they had one recently about, have you guys ever seen the Rokus? You know, why their remotes are like so tiny? And it it said uh, Roku develops even tinier remote. It looks like the grain of rice in this guy's hand. (laughs) Anyway, if, if you guys don't follow the Babylon Bee, it's hilarious. It's maybe my favorite thing to do during the day after reading the Bible is to uh, look up and see what, what they have going on. But we are, we are going to keep going through Hebrews here. So not quite as many verses as last week. We're going to take 27 through 31, but the deliverance by faith. And we're going to study Moses. We're going to continue through Moses, but then look at Joshua's army and Rahab. And before we do that, let's let's do what we should always do before we dive into God's word, open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. And God, we pray that your anointing would fill this place and teach us everything from your word, from 1 John 2.27. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together around your word. And Lord, we thank you that we have so much to learn about our faith and what is required of us in this life And God, thank you for all of these examples of great men and women that by faith pressed on through great adversity to inherit a greater promise on the other side of this. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look through uh, chapter 11 here, where we've been, we started out with what is faith? Through faith, the worlds were framed in verses 2 and 3. The mark of faith with Abel and Enoch in verses 4 and 5. Faith is pleasing. We studied Noah in verses 6 and 7. By faith you are called. We did a deep dive on Abram and Abraham's life in verses 8 through 10. Persuaded by faith, we looked at Sarah and pressing on in verses 11 through 13. And then we studied our new city, our forever home with him. If you remember, Abraham looked around, walked looking for a city and a country whose maker is God in verses 14 and 16. Then last week, we studied esteeming Christ above all in verses 17 through 26. And we looked at Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, and Moses. And one of the things I loved about all those verses was was when the Lord said that they esteemed the reproach of Christ above the treasures of Egypt. And I just love that. And so today, we're going to look at deliverance by faith. But that whole verse, if you remember from last week, was all about if you esteem the correction of the Lord higher than the treasures of this earth, then you're, you're living by faith because God chastens those whom he loves and he corrects those that are his children, as we learned earlier in Hebrews. But remember, this whole book is structured around these five warnings. The danger of drifting, the danger of hardening the heart, the danger of failing to mature, the danger of willful sin, and then ultimately the danger of refusing in Hebrews 12, So that's the fifth warning we'll get to in, in chapter 12, with each warning building upon another. So if you remember, Hebrews gives the warning, and revelation gives the outcome, and, and how Jesus feels about lukewarm Christians in Revelation 3:16. "So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth." And those were harsh words from the Messiah. From Jesus himself, that he wants you to be on fire for him, and remember, cold water had a lot of refreshing purposes. Hot water had medicinal purposes, and so they both were benefit of benefit to people. But with lukewarm water, you can't really do much. But God's giving those warnings because a kingdom is at hand. That's the point. The warnings are there because He has this kingdom coming. And we need to be looking toward our heavenly inheritance because we have a greater promise in the life after this than anything you can imagine in this world right now. And his kingdom, when he sets it up, it is going to be, you get a part of that, a big part to go and to minister to people, to help rebuild the earth after the tribulation. And when we come back with him in Revelation 19 on those white horses, you're going to get to do incredible things with him to minister in the kingdom. It's going to be just absolutely incredible. So let's start back in Hebrews 11, 20, verse 22, and just read these, these five verses and then dive into verse 27. So by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Remember, Joseph did not want his bones left in Egypt because he had the promise of the resurrection. And he wanted his bones in Israel, in the promised land, where he'd be resurrected. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Remember, his parents, by faith, hid him instead of, instead of obeying the king's command to kill every male Hebrew child. And so Moses' parents had a lot of faith to go against the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, and this was what I was just talking about, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Now, Keep in mind, in verse 26 there, esteem, he esteemed the correction of Christ. And remember, that name is nowhere in the Old Testament, but Moses was communing with God, and he was esteeming God's correction. Can you go back one There, there you go. Okay, so starting up where our, our study is going to pick up today, in verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So... The he here is Moses. So the the author's continuing, the Holy Spirit's continuing to dive into Moses and his life. So let's look at the birth of Moses here because these last couple of verses covered that. But in Exodus 2 verse 1, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. So keep in mind that Moses was of priestly descent. He was of the tribe of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a godly child, she hid him three months. So he was of the tribe of Levi. He was a priest and a prophet, but not a king. Because remember in the Old Testament, prophets could be from, the, from a priestly tribe or a royal tribe and other tribes, but the kings and priests were always held separate. They could not commingle. They commingled once with Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Jesus was a king and a priest, and then we as the church, we are kings and priests. And so if you remember all through the Old Testament, there were several times where a king tried to do priestly duties and the Lord would correct them. Because that was from the, tribes of Le- from the tribes of Jacob, I should say. From that point on, they were all separate until they converged again at Jesus. That was the point. So in verse 3 here in Exodus 2, and when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of, of bulrushes And daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags of the river's bank, of the river's brink. So Moses' mom, she hid the child. She nursed him and let him grow for a while until she couldn't hide him anymore. So then she had to build an ark and she put it in the river. And his sister, so Moses' sister, stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. I mean, just imagine the, the story here of taking your child that's however many months old, I think he was three months old, puts him into a, an ark. Now, it's interesting that she daubed it with slime to keep it waterproof. That's what Noah did. Noah daubed and, and put pitch within and without the ark, so on the inside and the outside. And I think the Lord had him put it on the inside to preserve it for the tribulation. I, it's just my speculation, but I think that some, somebody will find, that, find Noah's ark soon. And it's going to be a sign to the world that what the Bible talks about really happened. Otherwise, there's no point to put the pitch inside because the outside would keep it waterproof. But I think on the inside, it preserved it. Now, it's just an interesting detail that the Lord did that in Genesis. But the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, And her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go, and the maid went and called the child's mother. So... The strength of Moses' mom, think about this. She had to be obedient in saving the child by letting him go. But by letting him go, he comes back to her in that instant. The same thing happened with Samuel's mother. If you remember, Samuel was was a prophet, and the mother was, was pleading with God for a child. And the second she gets one, he calls to dedicate her to the Lord, dedicate him to the Lord. And so she takes him to the temple and basically drops him off, if you remember that. But through that, she's blessed with all these other children. It's kind of the same principle here. So you see the Lord honoring the faith of Moses' mother, just like Samuel's mother. Okay, in verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So Moses' mother gets her son back, gets Moses back under the permission of of the Egyptian court under Pharaoh. So it wasn't illegal any longer for them to have this, this male Hebrew son. Then she brings him back to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So the name Moses in Hebrew, means to pull out or to draw out, and that's why Pharaoh's daughter calls him his name Moses in Exodus 2 verse 10, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. So the Hebrew name Moses means to pull out or to draw out of water. The Egyptians had a similar word that meant son. So for example, one Pharaoh was named uh, Thutmose, translating the son of Thoth, and so they they had a similar word. So that a lot of scholars don't know if Moses was any based on the Egyptian name Moses or the Hebrew name. But either way, they had the same word in both languages. The name Moses appears 848 times in God's word. So it's the third most of all names in the Bible. You can guess who's first. It's Jesus, right? You can probably guess who's second. It was David. And then third is Moses. So you just to get an idea of how esteemed Moses is in the eyes of God he's the he makes the third most appearances in the bible so exodus 2:11 and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brother and looked on their burdens and he spied an egyptian smiting an hebrew one of his brethren and he looked this way and that way and when he saw that there was no man he slew the egyptian and hid him in the sand So you can get the picture, Moses sees this Egyptian basically smiting and beating one of his fellow Jewish men, a Hebrew, they were slaves in Egypt, except Moses, and Moses starts doing this kind of like, you know, when your son or daughter is wanting to do something mischievous and they look both ways to make sure nobody's watching and they do it. Well, Moses is looking around, is anybody watching? Then he goes and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in a sand dune just out there in the middle of the desert. And we went out the second day. Behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together and he said to them, that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince or a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. So Moses, get the picture, he comes out the second day and two Hebrew guys are fighting together and Moses is trying to correct them, and one of them calls out basically, hey, who made you a ruler over us? What is this? So Moses' sin caught up with him, though, because he should have never committed murder, and it was found out by the Hebrew guy that he was trying to correct. And now what, where did Moses go wrong? Well, Romans 12, 19 Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So Moses, instead of letting the Lord repay this man for what was going on, he got so frustrated and took it upon himself and committed murder. And it should have never happened. But the Hebrews are already arguing about the anointing upon Moses. So Moses comes out to correct them. And just like in the wilderness, remember the whole rebellion of Korah and his family was against the anointing of Moses and Aaron. And they're already arguing, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? And the Lord is going to make him a judge over them years later. It's just going to take some time. So since Moses feared man, he fled to Midian. So remember, his sin has been found out. So in Exodus 2 verse 24, uh, his, his sin is found out, he fears man, and he flees to Egypt. And he ends up marrying uh, Zipporah, the daughter of Raul or Jethro. He's got two names in the Bible. So Moses father-in-law. Jethro is how most of us know him, but Raul is his other name. So Nexus 2, verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So later on, God's hearing the, the cry of the people. Okay, so when Moses flees to Midian, he fled to Midian for about forty years. And you learn this in Acts chapter seven. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full a full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptians. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Okay, so Moses was 40 years old when he this whole event with seeing the two Hebrews argue with each other and he flees. We know he's then in Midian for 40 years, and then he's in the wilderness for 40 years. So it's just interesting. His life is broken up into three 40-year segments, essentially, you know, give or take a little bit. But for he supposed his brethren would have understood how God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. See, Jacob had prophesied that God would deliver the children of Israel with a strong hand. It was also God promised it to Abraham. Remember, after 400 years, your descendants will return to this land. Okay, they should have known that God was going to deliver them, but they they didn't recognize the promise of his word. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? Now, this kind of reminds me why my family and I, we've been watching The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen, it's incredible. Absolutely love it. We're in the middle of season one right now. I think season three is premiering in movies. The movie theaters, coming up sometime in November, the first two episodes. But it's it's an incredible show, so family-friendly. It's all about Jesus and his time on the earth and the Gospels. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's really well done. But one of the Roman soldiers had a line in the episode we watched the other night that just, it really struck me hard. He He's talking to the Jewish people, and he says, why do all of you worship one God, and yet you're all divided? And it just really hit home to me in the day in which we live today in the global church, right? How much of the church is divided over so much, and yet we're all under the banner of Jesus? And here this Roman soldiers coming from a culture of worshiping hundreds of gods, you know, and they were united to one cause. And so it's just amazing. But you see this kind of right here, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? As Moses is saying to him, shouldn't we all be united under Yahweh and under Jesus? Why wrong one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong, thrust him away saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Will thou kill me? as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday. Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begot two sons. And so here's where you learn he's in Midian for 40 years. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. So when Moses was on Sinai after the Exodus, notice that it was his not, not his first time there. I had not realized until I was studying this this week and preparing for today that the burning bush was on Sinai. I hadn't picked that up before. But what's amazing about that is that the Lord takes him back to where his call began. And there's a principle here for all of us. The Lord oftentimes will bring to remembrance or bring you back to where your call began. So his call begins at the burning bush on Sinai it's the voice of Jesus as declared, as Jesus lays claim to in John chapter eight, when he says, before Abraham was, I am. That's why they picked up stones to kill him because he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the voice of the burning bush. Well, it begins there. Then he goes back to Egypt to bring his, the children of Israel out. And he, after all these dramatic events and the death of the firstborn, he comes back out to Mount Sinai again. And so you can imagine when he gets back It's, you can just think about the flood of memories coming back to Moses of, wait, this is where my call began. And now there's a new call launching off into the wilderness of what I'm going to do next. And now remember God was faithful the first time. He's going to be faithful the the second time as well. And so oftentimes, that's also one way to win back a brother or a sister. Bring to remembrance, and we looked at this in Hebrews, bring back to remembrance for them when they got saved, when they were called. If you can do that, usually they they get a sense of, wait a minute, I've gone astray somehow. I've forgotten what God called me to. And, And they remember what it was like when they were born again and they had a call on their life. So wrapping up in Acts here in verse 31, chapter seven, when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight and he drew near to, behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him. Remember what attracted Moses was, not the fire in the bush, but it the fact that the fire was burning and not consuming the bush. And so it's a picture of God's wrath not consuming us because that, that bush was made out of acacia wood. It's the same wood that was made to build the Ark of the Covenant. It's the same wood that likely was the helmet of thorns for Jesus. In the Hebrew and the Greek, it's a helmet, not just a crown, And so when they pressed in on his skull, you could imagine all of the thorns on on top were just gashing his head open the whole time. But when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, saying, I am the God of thy father, so the voice from the bush, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Don't lose sight of that concept. When you're in the presence of the Lord, you know, think about your shoes, right? They pick up a lot of stuff in the world as you're walking your daily walk. The, the principle for you and I there is that you can't bring things of the world to the presence of Jesus. You need to submit them to him. And let, so take that off and lay it aside. Come into his presence without things of the world. And then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet. So in verse 34 here, I've seen, and I've seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. Now it's amazing that God came down to deliver them. He, he worked through Moses, but God left heaven and came down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. And Moses, whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. It's amazing. They refused Moses, and yet God did send him to be a ruler and a deliverer to them. It's kind of a type of Jesus. And remember when Jesus said, I came into my own, and my own received me not? It's that same concept. Joseph, Joseph experienced that as well. But he brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, and in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness, 40 years. So remember, the wilderness was 40 years. Kadesh Barnea was probably 38 of those 40 years. In verse 37, that is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church. Now that's an interesting phrase In Acts 7, God is calling the the congregation of the Israelites a church. And I didn't look this up in the Greek. I'd have to look it up. But it it may not be the word ecclesia, because I think the Greek word ecclesia is the first time Jesus uses it as our church. Uh, But don't quote me on that. We'd have to go look that up. But that's an interesting thing. He's calling them a congregation or a church. Now, we know they are not a part of the church, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them permanently that was formed at Acts 2, which the angel, which the angel with the angel which spake to, to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not not what has become of him. Remember, Moses left them for just a few days on Mount Sinai, and they got so anxious that he was gone, they fashioned a golden calf and started worshiping it and claimed that it was their deliverer from Egypt. That's how, that's how unsettled they were. They weren't grounded completely in God's word. So in Hebrews 11:27, 27, remember the, the verse we're looking at here. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So think about Moses. Initially, he did fear Egypt and the wrath of the Pharaoh because they sought to kill him for killing the Egyptian. They, they, he feared Pharaoh. He feared man. And after spending 40 days with the Lord, exiled in Midian, and maturing in his faith, he came back ready to stand up to evil. It took him four decades to grow in his faith enough to walk into the court of Pharaoh. So when we are are in this process, the sanctification process, with young Christians, if you have young friends or family members that are young Christians in your life, be patient and always give them a reason for the hope that you have, because They are growing, they're trying to learn, they're trying to understand what it means to truly walk with the Lord and to fully surrender to him. So be patient. It took Moses 40 years. You know, think about that. He was a a great man of God, but he came back ready to stand up to evil. Now Moses needed strength to face Egypt and his own people who continued to challenge his anointing the whole time and And note that Moses pressed on as if he were he was seeing Jesus. look at the end of that verse as seeing him, who is invisible, the lord okay verse twenty eight through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So remember, the Passover is instituted in Egypt, and the the destroying angel goes through and kills all the firstborn if they're not covered by the blood of the lamb. That's the key. So Moses' faith was displayed publicly by following and being obedient to the Passover. And Exodus 12 details the institution of the Passover in that chapter. But the blood of the lamb on the two doorposts and the lintel, and anyone in the house was saved that night. It was not Jew or Gentile specific. Now, on the Hebrew calendar, because the next day for the Hebrew calendar starts at sundown, we know the Passover was celebrated on the 14th day of the seventh month. It's linked to a day of the calendar. On the Egyptian calendar, it would have been the night of the 13th. That's where the, all the superstition of Friday the 13th comes from this event, because they, they All of their firstborn were dead and killed on Friday the 13th. That's when that starts in cultures all around the world. But on the Hebrew calendar is a day of salvation, the the Passover, a day of great deliverance. Okay, so it didn't matter. It was not specific to Jew or Gentile. Anyone that was in the home was saved. Keep that in mind. But there was only one remedy to be saved. You had to be covered by the blood. So we know from Psalms 40 verse 7, that in the volume of the book it's written of me, says Jesus, in Psalms 40, verse 7. So the requirement in Exodus, so the whole Passover event speaks of Jesus, right? He is the Lamb of God. The requirement of the Passover in Exodus 12, verse 46, in one house it shall be eaten, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. So the Lamb's bones could not be broken for it to meet the Passover requirement. The prophecy of this is in Psalms 34, verse 20. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Speaking of Jesus, well, then you see this on the cross fulfilled in John 19, verses 32 through 33. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other one, of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So he fulfilled that even that little requirement of the passover the whole feast speaks of Jesus he was crucified on passover he is our passover and they make this link the new testament the holy spirit makes this link several times in 1 corinthians 5:7 therefore purge out the old leaven that ye may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed christ our passover was sacrificed for us. So the Holy Spirit's linking Christ as our Passover. So just keep that in mind. In John 1:29, the next day, John, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a Passover phrase, the Lamb of God. In Revelation 5, verses 4 and 6, remember when we are raptured out in Revelation 4, verse 1, We're in the throne room of the universe. The 24 elders represent the church. We are looking for someone to come forward and to take the scroll from the Father's hand. And no man was found worthy to open and to read the scroll, to look at it. This is in Revelation 5, verses 4 and 6. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals, And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. That's a Passover phrase. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Remember that's from Isaiah 11 verse two, sent out into all the earth. So even the Passover date is prophetic and it actually is connected to Noah's Ark back in Genesis chapter eight. So if you remember Noah's Ark, there was only one Ark. Uh, God closed the door to the Ark and then waited seven days before the rain started. That was in Genesis 7, verse 4. Noah preached about the flood 120 years, and you learn that in in 2 Peter 2, 5, that he was a preacher of righteousness. Genesis 6, 3, we learn that he preached for 120 years. And that's interesting that his days of preaching are the same length as Moses' life, 40, 40, 40. But God was patient, he gave his people a choice, a chance, right? And of everybody on planet Earth, other than Enoch, who was raptured before the flood, only eight people chose to believe God and enter that ark. So just keep in mind that it's always a remnant, okay? It's always a remnant that is following Jesus. Do not not be discouraged when you're out in this world looking around, and And you're not seeing many people serving the king that you and I serve. But in Genesis eight four it tells you when the the date the ark rested, then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. So in the Exodus event when God delivers the children of, of Israel with the Passover, he starts a new calendar, and he gives them a religious calendar and a secular calendar or a cultural calendar. And the seventh month was called Abib, but then on the new Jewish religious calendar, it's called Nisan. So those were the two of the same months. They were the same time. Okay, if the ark rested on the 17th day of the seventh month, they've got two calendars. Jesus was crucified the 14th of Nisan, the 14th day of that month. Remember, he controlled all the timing in the gospels. He he slipped out of crowds so many times. My hour's not yet come. It's not my day yet but then finally at dinner he looks at Judas and says whatever you're going to do do now and then he gets he is controlling the timing so he's crucified on passover that's the key well we know he was crucified then the 14th day of the 7th month he was in the tomb 3 days which means he his resurrection from the tomb and leaving the tomb was the 17th day of the 7th month so Noah's exiting of the ark was on the anniversary in advance of Jesus exiting the tomb. And it's all linked to the Passover in the, in the middle of that. And so it's all the way from the beginning, from Genesis 8, that is prophesied of when Jesus would leave the tomb. That is incredible. Now, look at all these different prophetic events, much like the Passover. All of these speak of Jesus, that he would make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem from Zechariah nine and Psalms 118. People would sing Hosanna to him in Psalms 118, verses 25 through 26. He would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11 and Psalms 41. Judas then takes the 30 pieces of silver in Matthew 26, verse 15. Now remember, silver always speaks of blood in the Old Testament, Levitically. So he's betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, speaking of blood. That's why the tabernacle, when they carried it around... The poles, it rested on silver sockets around the wood. So the, the promise and the fellowship entry to know God rested on blood. That's why he uses silver for that. He'd be rejected in Psalms 118, 69, and 69, verse 20. He'd be a smitten shepherd in Zechariah 13, 7. He'd be given vinegar and gall in Psalms 69, verse 21. They would cast lots for his garments in Psalms 22, verse 18. He'd be pierced in Zechariah 12.10 and Psalms 22, verse 16. He'd be reproached and mocked in Psalms 22, verse 7 and 89.51. He'd be whipped in Psalms 129.3, not a bone to be broken in Psalms 34.20, and his beard would be ripped off in Isaiah 50, verse 6. And you don't even see that in the Gospels, but they ripped off his beard when he was getting beaten by the Romans. And so all of those, predictive events, speaking of that moment when Jesus would be crucified on behalf of you and I. It's just incredible. It's all over the Bible. And so when you, when you start reading the Bible, like we always talk about, just try to figure out how do all these verses speak of him, because every one of them speaks of him somehow. And that's the key. When you can recognize that and start finding that, your faith will just take off your relationship with him. So in Hebrews 11 back to Hebrews 11 here verse 29 by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned assaying meaning attempted in the Greek that word is attempted so the Egyptians attempted to follow God's people on their road of deliverance now by doing so the hand of God destroyed them now keep that in mind evil often tries to counterfeit the road of righteousness, but they ultimately get destroyed. But everything Satan does is a counterfeit, and they try to walk on God's road, and eventually the Red Sea comes crashing on them, and they will be destroyed. So just keep that in mind. The, the wickedness cannot traverse God's road. Now, you see this in Exodus 14, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. All that night. Now this is the Holy Spirit. So an east wind, an east wind cannot divide water two directions. It's the it's the Holy Spirit that is that is doing this. Made the sea all the night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them, on their right hand and on their left. Now Just envision this, Moses and the children of Israel, they leave Egypt, they take great spoil. Remember, all their neighbors after the death of their firstborn came and said, hey, I don't care what you guys do, take every possession we have, just leave. You've done enough. And so they hand over all their wealth from Egypt. The children of Israel leave. We know that it must have been probably two and a half to three million people that were leaving because in numbers, when you look at their census, it was about 2 million people, and, and you just, or I'm sorry, about 650,000 of fighting age males. So for every one of them, you figure um, of a, hus- or a wife and two or three kids, you can get up to a couple million people pretty quick. So they have a couple million people, are, are, he's leading out, and they're at the, the river, the Red Sea, And all of a sudden their backs are against the wall and they're looking at the Egyptian army bared down on them. I mean, you could just imagine millions of people, kids everywhere, your wives, just understand their feeling in that moment of, wow, the Lord has delivered us from Egypt. He smote our enemies. He led us out here in the wilderness. We're backed up against the Red Sea. We have nowhere to go. What are we going to do? there was probably fear, panic, anxiety all over that camp of people wondering, what are we going to do? And, and all of a sudden, God, like he does all throughout his word and what he will do in your life, he loves the drama, right? God always loves drama. He loves the dramatic deliverance of the just-in-time deliverance. He is never early and never late. And that's why he left Lazarus in the tomb four days. Remember, and all the people are coming to him. If you just would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus is going, hey, it's okay. You know, He's just sleeping, I promise. He's coming, just wait a minute. But, but they part the Red Sea, and then they have to hike down the mountain to get into the dry ground to walk over. So just, just imagine the the coordination, right, of trying to get millions of people down a, the side of a cliff while carrying things with animals, while they're in the water. That's probably, we talked about this a few months ago, but that's probably where they got the dolphins to make their shoes in the wilderness, was probably in that. But they, they did a lot in that time. And they get through, and then the Egyptians are probably sitting there going, okay, they did this. We can do this, right? We can come down in this. It's Okay. But just imagine the miracle of these walls of water up. And you could probably see sharks swimming around on the other side and all kinds of stuff. But look at Exodus uh, verse 22. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea. So they went down to the midst. Well, we know that it was a wall on their right hand and their left hand. We know from that that the water stood upright. But we learn in the song of Moses that the waters actually congealed like jello. That they didn't just stand upright. They congealed, in Exodus 15, verse eight, and with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as a heap and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. So Moses led millions of people through waters that became jello. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. I wonder how many of the kids were just touching it and trying to figure out what's going on. I, I bet they just were absolutely, their minds were probably just blown away. But Exodus 15, verse nine, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. So they were bloodthirsty. The the Pharaoh and his army were bloodthirsty. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind and the sea covered them and and they sank as lead in the mighty waters. So just imagine how how the Pharaoh and his army are chasing them in chariots. They're going through the Red Sea, and then all of a sudden that jello starts to shake, right? And the molecules change at the voice of Jesus, and they just become waters just crashing into them, and they all drown right there. Okay, in Hebrews 11, verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days, Okay, now, if you're not familiar with the story of of Joshua and Jericho, everything that occurred at Jericho was contrary to the Torah. Okay, Joshua is a variant form of the name Jesus in Hebrew. Joshua in Hebrew is Yehoshua, meaning God is deliverance. And Jesus' name in Hebrew is also Yehoshua, Yehoshua, which over time, became shortened to mean Yeshua. They just started calling his name Yeshua or Yeshua. And it's, but it's the same name. So you have a name of the Messiah on the book of, an, of the Old Testament. Jesus has, a, his name is on the book of an old, of one of the books of the Old Testament. So the entire story of Joshua is one of a military commander conquering the land and rightfully taking back what belongs to God and his people It's exactly what Jesus does in the book of Revelation. He's conquering the land on behalf of his people. So they are both military commanders taking back what's been taken by God. Okay, so who fought the battle at Jericho? In Joshua 5, verse 13, we find out, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him With his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Now notice that Jesus does not take a side. He doesn't say, "Oh, I'm with you guys." He says, "No, I'm with I'm with God. I'm not with you or for your enemies. If you're with God, then I'm with you." In verse fourteen, he says, "And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord." Am I now come? And Joshua, by the sound of that voice, as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? At the sound of that voice, Joshua fell on his face immediately, because that's all you can do in the presence of Jesus, is fall on your face to the earth, and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host, this is Jesus, said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is is holy. And Joshua did so. And so Jesus is once again telling him exactly what he told Moses at the burning bush. Take your shoe off. You're on holy ground because I'm here. And Jesus is walking. And he's going in and he's going to fight the battle at Jericho. Now, when you look at this, the Ark of the Covenant was never supposed to go to war. It was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. It was not to go to war, and neither were the Levites. The Levites were exempt from war, from Numbers 1, verses 47 through 54. They were not to be numbered. Instead, they were supposed to be over the proceedings of the tabernacle. And yet, in Joshua, at the Battle of Jericho, the Ark of the Covenant and the Levites are leading the whole procession into the war. Look at uh, chapter six, verse one. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So they are fearful. The people of Jericho see the Israelites encamping and they are, fear has set in because they know what the God of Israel is capable of. They know what happened in Egypt. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thou shalt thou, that shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Okay, they were not supposed to do any work the seventh day and yet here they are doing seven times as much. So what is going on? The Levites are there, the Ark of the Covenant's there, the seventh day they're doing seven times more work than they should. But you see, what's going on is when Jesus leads the charge, he turns everything upside down. What the law could not do, Jesus did. And so he took the law and just completely turned it on its head. And he fought the battle for his people as a result. And it's from that point on that they are a total failure because they then get into the promised land they look around, Jesus was fighting all of their wars, and instead now they say, we need a king over us, and that's why they get Saul, and it's just a downhill slide from there. The, the Messiah was literally in their presence fighting their wars for them, and yet they still wanted an earthly king. It just shows you that there is no faith in anything that you and I see, and that's why Hebrews 11.1 1 is so important. That faith is, not, is the evidence of things not seen. We've got to build our faith by the word of God, not on what we see. And even this, the, this generation that saw more miracles and signs than probably any other generation in history until the tribulation, they even rebelled against Jesus. So you and I are, are at as much risk, if not more. But with a great shout, we too will have a victory and forever be with the Lord. So look at the wording again in Joshua 6 verse 5. This just kind of struck me this week. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. So it's not going to fall down where there's rubble and you've got to climb over. It's just going to fall flat. So God, at the sound waves, the frequencies of the voice of his people, tear down those walls, those strongholds. But look at how it ends. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him, it just reminded me so much of the rapture with the sound of a trumpet and a shout that all the people shall ascend. And it's that it sounds a lot like the rapture because there's two purposes of the rapture. One, to bring his church home. But the second is to declare war on his enemies. It's a war cry. The rapture sound, that trumpet, that ram's horn is a war cry. And it just reminded me of what, of what the Lord told me back on June 30th, that Jesus is a wartime king. And that's one of the purposes of the rapture is that it's a declaration of war against his enemies. And before a king goes to war, he brings his ambassadors home. And that's what that's part of what's happening there in the rapture. Okay, the last verse here verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed, not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So a different spelling of the name Rahab is trans, as transliterated in the King James translation of the Greek New Testament. It's mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew as one of the ancestors of Jesus. That's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. If you, if you read the genealogy of Jesus, there are a few women that show up in that genealogy, uh, but Rahab is one of them. She married Salmon of the tribe of Judah and was the mother of Boaz... Now, that's pretty neat because if you know the story of Ruth, Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son named Obed who has a son named Jesse who has a son named David. And so so Rahab, it appears, may be the great-great-grandmother of David. And thus, the scarlet thread continues by her faith. Now, the scarlet thread starts in Genesis chapter 3 the seed of the woman. That's where the scarlet thread begins. But look at this in Joshua 2. She's first introduced in Joshua 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy, secretly saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now, even that word, though, harlot, uh, may be a mistranslation out of the Hebrew. Uh, She probably was not a harlot as you would think of a harlot. It means something totally different. But it was told the king, and it's amazing, ever since this is written in English, everyone thinks, oh, the harlot Rahab. She probably was a a very God-fearing woman that was living a holy life. But it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, there came men unto me, but I, basically, I don't know where they are. They, they disappeared. So Rahab is not lying here. Uh, what is a lie? A lie is, is a premeditated uh, act to deceive someone. Think about Anne Frank, right, when she hid all the Jewish people in World War II she's not lying to the nazis she was doing the right thing by hiding god's people and protecting them and she's she is rahab is standing up for god's people and trying to hide them from basically from being murdered but in verse 5 and it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out whether the men went i i, I won't not i don't know where they went "'Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them.' But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them in the way of Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, and she came up unto them upon the roof.' And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Think about what Rahab is saying. I know that the Lord keeps his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's given you the land, and you are here to take it, and there is nothing we can do to stop his hand. Because if Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian army couldn't stop you, there's no way that Jericho, which is the house of the moon god, by the way, it's the first place that Jesus attacks because uh, the moon god is—is is, it's bell worship, it's satanic, it's why a, a crescent moon adorns every mosque on planet Earth today. It's moon worship, it's exactly what they're doing at Jericho. These are not new things. And then when you read in Judges that they take the crescent moon off the camels and things of the people they defeat, and the and the Israelites wear them as necklaces and anklets, it's there's a lot more going on there than just taking jewelry. They were adopting the worship of the moon god. But anyway, just as a side note, and the men pursued after them, and before they were laid down, she came up to them upon the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites." that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon, and Og, that's the king of Bashan. That's where Goliath is from, that area, Gath, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house." and give me a true token, and that we will save alive my father. So basically they're saying, she's saying, anyone that's in my house, will you please save when you come to conquer the land? And the man answered her, our life for yours, if you utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord. Now here's where that scarlet thread all the way from Genesis 3 continues. "...through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days." It's always the time between death and life, three days. "...until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear." Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. So the scarlet thread, it continues right there. And it sounds a lot like the Passover, right? Hide your family in your house. There's something red on the outside. We will spare them and then you'll be saved. But the the scarlet thread, it continues right there from Genesis 3.15, goes all the way through Rahab the harlot, which isn't really harlotry, but Rahab all the way down through David, all the way through the Messiah, and it's how we have fellowship with him. But deliverance by faith, deliverance by faith in Jesus is our direction, and that's the key. So what, what Moses did, he, was, he had deliverance by faith. The children of Israel had deliverance by faith. Then you had uh, Joshua's army tearing down the walls of Jericho. They delivered. They were delivered by faith. And then Rahab and her whole family delivered by faith. And so that is the call to all of us, right, is to have deliverance by faith. So we've got to be watching because we too are going to be delivered by faith. And our faith of deliverance now is the rapture. It's our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope that we all have to be looking toward. And so the the call for all of us is to be watching and to to be a watchman on the wall and to get the word out there that what is going on in the world right now, the Bible has talked about for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And you and I get a front row seat to what is actually happening with this war that's going on between God and Satan and hit Satan trying to usher in the beast antichrist system and getting the church caught up in the middle of it. But we won't, we know God will prevail. His word will deliver us by faith. And so we've got to keep watching at what's going on because as we get closer to the end of this, you're gonna see a lot more happen and whether it's in our lifetime or in the lifetime of our children, you know, it's to be, to be determined. But you are seeing literally all of the stage setting all around you happen. So we've got to watch according to Matthew 25, 42. We've got to watch, therefore, according to Matthew 25, 13. We've got to take ye heed, watch and pray, according to Mark 13, We've got to watch according to Luke 21, And I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 37. And so get into the word of God and strengthen your faith and stand up and push back. We have maybe one of the most important elections in our nation's history coming up on Tuesday. And I'm encouraging all of you. you I, I cannot tell you how often I hear Christians talk about Well, we just need to stay, Christians need to stay out of politics. You know, they're to be separate. And that could not be as far from the truth. Look all through the Bible. God's people were involved. Moses was very much involved in politics in Egypt. (laughs) Ruth was very much involved in politics in Persia, in delivering the Jewish people. If you and I don't stand up and voice what is right out of God's word, no one will. And this land will go completely to the enemy and your children will have nothing left because it's, it is us. We are what's left. You know, the church, not just in this room, but in the, ch- the church. And if we're not gonna stand up and say, hey, murder in the womb is wrong and we are against it, then no one's going to. The world is looking to you and I for answers to all these problems. Uh, marriage is divinely appointed by God uh, between a man and a woman, that he designed it, not us. So who are we to say otherwise? So we've got to stand up and voice this, and all of us need to be praying that God raises up righteous leaders, godly leaders in our land right now. We've got to take back the, the propaganda in the schools. We've got to push back against what they're trying to indoctrinate our children with. We have to stand up and say, "Is enough. We are not going to do this anymore. And we need righteous judges that will stand up and not try to arrest people for simply being Christians. We need, we need men and women in, in the House and in, in the Senate that are going to enact godly principles in this country again and not tear down the Ten Commandments from our courtrooms. We need godly people back in this land. So this, this is seriously maybe one of the most important elections in our lifetime is what's going on on Tuesday. And so we need to pray over our land. I I would encourage all of you, if you haven't done this yet, we we have two more nights before election day. Just spend 20, 30 minutes in your room by yourself, on your knees, pleading over these elections and over our land, that the Lord would heal our nation once again. If this nation falls, we are, we are the last domino on planet Earth. That if we fall and there is no more light to the world, then it's, the world is going straight to the system. Okay, if the United States does not stand. I, I'm just telling you guys, we are the last one. It's why there is such a war over our nation. Because we are the one place that's left to study and to openly gather to study God's word without the threat of imprisonment. And even that's starting to show up in the US. So we've got to stand up, we cannot back down. Yes, the Lord has promised to deliver us by the rapture and that we will not see the tribulation. That does not mean we can sit back, kick our feet up and not get involved. We've gotta be occupiers until he comes, like he said in Luke. So with that, if if you're here and you need to get born again, And what is this whole Jesus thing about? It's really simple. It's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is that simple. There is nothing you can add to it and nothing you can take away from it. You are forever born again. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're born again, how can you be unborn? You can't. So you cannot lose your salvation. The key is what do you do with it from there on? So with that, I'll close us in prayer and let's let's pray over our, our elections this week. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for this time together, God. We praise your name. We worship you, God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you for the promise that you will take us back to where our call began to remind us of what you are calling us to and to press on, and that, Lord, we are looking to a heavenly inheritance to forever be with you and to be removed from the very presence of sin itself. And God, until that day comes, though, you have called us to occupy, to stand up and to be a godly voice to our land and to those around us. We have got to witness And to tell people about the love of christ and lord that there is one way into that ark before the door closes and it's by you and you alone king jesus and lord we thank you that in john you said i am the door because it's the only door that anyone can come through to have access to the father and so jesus thank you for calling out a people to your name in these last of last days and so lord According to 2 Chronicles 7.14, we do turn to you right now and we are pleading the blood of Jesus over the land of the United States of America and that, Lord, you would sweep through this nation just like that east wind. Start in Washington, D.C. and march across this nation from east to west. And Jesus, turn this land upside down and let the walls of Jericho fall flat to the earth and let your people raise up with a shout from heaven that will tear down the strongholds and the places that the enemy has a foothold and a fortress. Your word is mighty to the tearing down of strongholds, God. And we pray that you would tear those down and that you would let a revival spread across this land and that you would raise up godly men and women to take seats of authority in this nation, and that you would raise up righteous judges that adhere to your word and that pursue you and that look to you to make righteous, discerning judgments in this land. Lord, I pray that those that are wrongfully imprisoned right now, simply for standing up and speaking out, Lord, we're thinking of Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht. God, we pray that you would release them. They are godly people that took a bold stance to step up and to speak the truth. And God, we pray that you would open those doors of those prisons and that they would walk out. Those preachers and those pastors in California and Oregon that are wrongfully imprisoned for praying outside of abortion clinics, God, set them free. And Lord, we pray that your presence would anoint and set over this land and that you would turn your enemies back and that they would be drowned by the sea. And Lord, let them not have a voice any longer in this land and let our children be raised in a place that the word of God is taught and that you are sought after And that your name is known from east to west and north to south. Cover this land from border to border with your glory, Lord Jesus. We know that once, once, coming soon, your glory will fill the ends of the earth. But until then, God, let it settle and occupy in this nation, in the land of the United States of America. where. We made a covenant with you, Lord, so do not forget that, that our forefathers made a covenant with you, that this land would stand on your word, and this would be a land that worships you and you alone. And Lord, this nation was founded seeking you and freedom to be with you, Jesus. Do not forget that. Hear our cries, God, and bend your ear to our prayers and step down from heaven just like you did in Egypt and deliver your people and stand and set your throne here in our land and thrust your sword in this land, in this earth, and take dominion over it, God. We love you and we thank you for this time together. And we are always looking up, looking up for you, Jesus. So thank you for that promise.